This is the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. In business, you have to play to win. You need an edge. You'll find that edge in the Business Locker Room. Hey, business is like sports, and I want to bring the locker room to the boardroom. Giving you the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. With compelling interviews, cutting-edge business tactics and ideas, and the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. I welcome in my good friend, Miles Austin. Welcome to the Business Locker Room. Now, here is your host, Kelly Riggs. And hello, everyone. Great to be back on Biz Locker Radio, presented by the Business Locker Room. Two weeks away, of course, the Memorial Day holiday last week, and uh, boy, it just seems like it's been forever since we've done a show operating at the intersection of sports and business. This is the online show with compelling conversations and useful content that you can use today. If you're looking to improve your business performance, whether you own a business, sell a product, manage a team, lead a company, doesn't matter. This is the show for you. We've got experts in sales and marketing, social media, business strategy, leadership, And today's guest is going to talk a lot about workplace culture, very critical topic. We're going to do that today. It is Biz Locker Radio. I'm your host. I'm Kelly Riggs. Thanks for joining us. You can find us online at bizlockerradio.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Kelly Riggs. And by the way, do like I do, catch up with these fantastic shows. I know it's been two weeks since we did a show live, but two weeks ago, Joe Polizzi was with me. We did Killer Content Marketing you have got to go back and listen to that show. It was absolutely phenomenal. And then two, a week before that was The Psychology of Buying with Jack Malcolm and Jeff Shore. We wrapped up four straight weeks of nothing but world-class salespeople, sales experts, talking sales on BizLocker Radio. Go to iTunes, download it as a podcast, listen to it on your morning and evening commute. It is absolutely spectacular. And uh, you're, you're going to love today's show. Show number 56, by the way, Creating a Successful Culture. Marissa Levin will join me in just a few minutes, and we'll talk about uh, workplace culture. But I also want to remind you, if you're tuning in, if you're with SMPS or if you're in the AEC market space, Scott Butcher will join me at the bottom of the hour, and we're going to talk about his brand-new book, Reputation, Design, and Build. I'm really excited. Scott is a friend. I serve on a board with him. And he's just a a wonderful guy, and and this is a fantastic book in that space. I'm excited about that. And then finally, Miles Austin will be along, as he almost always is, and we'll do the X's and O's segment. We've got some more video stuff for you today, by the way. We're going to talk about uh, teleprompters. So many people want to do video, but they don't have that comfort uh, to, to operate in front of a video camera without some sort of help. And there's a lot of tools out there that will help you do that. If that's what's keeping you from doing video in your business or as a salesperson, you definitely need to tune in. This is going to be good stuff. Well, today's show is, as I mentioned, about culture. Marissa Levin, who is one of our coaching experts in the business locker room, she contributes a great blog post every month. She's going to talk to us about transforming your company's culture. As Peter Drucker once noted, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Leaders at every level play a role in culture. Your company has one whether you know it or not, and and Marissa has got the background for it. I found it to be interesting. Marissa, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I want to tell a little story about you. uh, I I don't know if we talked about this last time, but Marissa, at one point in her lifetime, 
got her degree in English with a concentration in Shakespeare, and she was a journalist. And as she as she likes to say, it's not it's not the most direct road to business. But you've now created a couple of world class companies, uh, multi million dollar companies, and done a fantastic job. You wrote a couple of great books, and uh, we talked about one of those last time. Uh, what the the book that we're going to sort of reference today is My Company Rocks: Eight Secrets to a growth driven culture that keeps employees happy and engaged. Tell me take a second and tell us a little about the, a little bit about that transition from journalist to business person. Well, you know, journalism and writing, I think I've been writing since I I could physically hold a pen probably when I was just a toddler. It's just something that I was born to do. And the, the link between writing and journalism is really, you know, to, to, and to organizational culture or, or, to, or to business growth is really all about connection, communication, and community, right? So mm-hmm. every single leader out there, every good leader, they have to know how to communicate. They need to be able to communicate in a very clear way, both verbally as well as um, in written format. So for me, it, it's really all about connecting and communicating very, very clearly, and and you know that's a critical key for any leader. So I well, don't really see that it's a huge leap. Not a big deal. Well, you're you're a big time entrepreneur, and I do see that as a little bit of a leap. Not everybody has entrepreneurial blood. You were told you'd never make more than a certain amount of money, and you you jumped over that fence in a big way. Let me ask you a question with regards to culture. Are entrepreneurial cultures different, and if so, in what way? Yeah. Uh, well. You know, every organization, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about like the organization of one, you know, where you're really kind of in the startup mode and then you're going to five people, 10 people, 20 people, 50 people, 100 people, and so on, every single stage has a different organizational culture. So when you're first launching a company, you really are dealing kind of like with the wild, wild west where um, you may not have a lot of processes in place and the organization may be more hero-centric instead of process-centric. And as you grow and, you, and uh, you, know, you start to take on sophisticated customers, you start to have more and more employees, you have to move from being kind of like just figuring things out as you go along up to more of a standardized process type of culture. And given that most CEOs and business owners only um, spend seven years in the role of founder and CEO, that's the average tenure, that's because when people first launch businesses, they do it because they have a passion to build. And what happens is, is that if they're very successful, they end up building an infrastructure that basically puts them out of a job, right? I mean, if you do what you do well enough, then ultimately you've created systems and processes and you have people in place that you really don't have anything to do on a daily basis in terms of execution, and it really is all about the vision. So, yeah, there's definitely a huge change between an entrepreneurial startup culture and more of an established culture as you grow. My guest is Marissa Levin. She is the founder and CEO of Successful Culture. This is a company that provides CEO and executive coaching and strategic guidance. And you can find her, by the way, uh, online in a couple of different places, at Marissa Levin. You can follow her on Twitter. Find her at SuccessfulCulture.com. Well, some questions for you. Here's some of the stark data numbers that are out there, Marissa. Engagement hovers around employee engagement around 31%. 
That means the vast majority, more than two out of three employees, are either not engaged or actively disengaged. In fact, the actively disengaged number is growing. It's up to 17% of employees. That's, a, that's scary. We know that culture impacts engagement. We know it's created by leaders. What, what are people doing wrong when it comes to creating an intentional type of culture? You know, I've got several entrepreneur clients that I coach, and it's funny. We, I was talking to one of them about this this past week because they have a small business, and one of the things that most business owners want to do is they want to be able to put enough systems in place where they can delegate all of the um, customer interaction and all of the day-to-day to other people so that they can elevate themselves to a position where they're really just focusing on strategy and vision. I've never met an entrepreneur who just wants to be able to do strategy and vision. That's all that they want to do. But what happens is, is, is that the owner owns the heart of the business. And so they may develop a relationship with customers. And one of my uh, clients, her customer said to her last week, I feel like I'm working with two different companies. I'm working with you and one company, and then your employees represent another company. Wow. And so we're going back inside the company, and we are re-rolling out the values and the mission of the company because those really drive the culture. And the way that you keep your employees engaged is that you keep them connected to the mission and the core values of the company and making sure that they know what those are and that those core values and that mission are also tied to and aligned with their personal core values and their mission. That's how you stay stay engaged and you keep the human touch going inside the company as well as outside the company. It really is taking a very, very intentional effort of always living those core values and the mission of the company. Well, it seems to me, Marissa, at least the data seems to point in this direction, that this kind of connection with culture is even more important to millennials. Their engagement of all the generations is the lowest. It's just under 29%. I mean, that starts to get a little scary as it drops closer to you know one in four instead of one in three. Do you find that to be the case? Are millennials more concerned about culture and connection and those kinds of things? I think the millennials are very focused on meaningful work. And I believe that... Um, that they are not open to going into an organization, working 60 hours a week, working their way up and paying their dues in a bureaucratic organization where they have to climb a ladder. They want to go in and they want to make an impact quickly. And the other thing is um, I think that the whole argument, and you and I have talked a lot about this, Kelly, I think the whole entire argument and challenge around work-life balance and work-life integration, I think in our future generations, it's not even going to be an issue because the generations coming in now, they're not going to tolerate a work environment where there is no balance. They're just not going to tolerate it. They are, they are coming into a workplace where everything is mobile, Everything's already integrated. They're not going to work 10, 12, 15 hours a day and then try and separate from work. Their whole entire life is going to be blended, and there's going to be meaning and contribution in every aspect of their life. So philanthropy is going to be a part of their life. Nonprofit work is going to be a part of their life. Um, mental uh, mental health, you know, and, and um, like mindfulness and meditation is going to be a part of their life. Physical wellness is going to be a part of their life. Everything's going to be fully integrated, and they're not going to tolerate organizations that want to just work them to death. So I think that's one of the reasons why they're kind of disengaged with some of the larger organizations. 
You know, that's that's an interesting perspective because for, for someone like me, a guy who values some structure and organization and some predictability and so forth, I mean, are we talking about getting so uh, out there that, you know, it's everything is fluid or, or can you still have organization and structure inside of a balanced type of approach to work and life? I think I, I think there absolutely will be some structure, but it's going to be structure that is also fluid and and bosses and supervisors are not going to be able to dictate that you need to come into an office, stay in that office for 10 hours, 12 hours a day, then also be on your phone. You know, the people who are coming up, these are, this is the first generation where they are completely wired, right? I mean, they are 100% digital. Our generations, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in mid-40s. When, when technology kind of, you know, came into our life in the workforce and kind of like took us over, what ended up having was, was that technology became an overlay of an already grueling work day, right? So what we ended up doing was we'd go to the office and we'd work six, eight, ten hours a day, and then we'd come home and we'd still be connected. The millennials have seen how we are exhausted. We are burned out and they are not, there's no way that they're gonna, they're gonna bite that off. Like, I mean, life is just too short and they're definitely gonna be going for more quality of life than working 12, 14 hours a day and staying connected all the time. Guys, we're coming up on a break pretty quickly. I, before we get there, I want to ask you a question. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about accountability. This is a big cultural issue. A lot of managers are trying to find ways to create accountability and not kill mm-hmm. their culture at the same time. But let, let's talk. There's one point that you make in a really great blog post that you wrote about meaningful connection. You talk about the why, and you talk about the difference between a why and an outcome. And I think that's really important. What's the distinction between a company culture's why? and an outcome. So, I mean, getting to the why is why you exist. Bottom line is what is your purpose here? What is going to be your legacy, right? That really has to be what drives an organization. What is going to be your legacy long after the company is gone, long after the employees have, have, have left, and how are you actually living your, your legacy? And, you know, for someone again who you know who's who's in my mid forties, I've um, I've had two brushes, as you know, with cancer. I'm a melanoma survivor. I had a brush with uh, with breast cancer, so I have a very very healthy appreciation for mortality. And you know, I'm thinking, what is my second act going to be? Right? What is like? Right. What's going to be the next thirty to forty years of my life? How am I actually going to create that? And what is my legacy going to be? And I want to make sure that that is completely connected to my why, that I'm not coasting and I'm not asleep at the wheel and I'm not on autopilot. I want every day to be intentional where I'm pushing me towards my why. How am I living it? That's, that's what I ask myself every day. Right. Whereas an outcome is just some performance standard we're trying to reach, like a certain amount of revenue or something like that, correct? Yeah. I mean, revenue should not be your why. Right. But so if you lay out there, hey, we want to be a $12 million company, that's a great goal to have. Certainly has no connection to your why. We're talking with Marissa Levin. She's the CEO and founder of SuccessfulCulture.com. Follow her on Twitter at Marissa Levin. We're going to take a time out. We'll come back on the other side. We'll continue our conversation about culture, how you can intentionally define your culture and what role accountability plays in that whole process. Stay with us. You're listening to BizLocker Radio on Voice America. I'm Kelly Riggs. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Dan Walshman, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. Hey, great to have you back on Biz Locker Radio. Thanks for joining me. I'm Kelly Riggs. I'm your host. BizLockerRadio.com is where you can find us next week, by the way. Great show. We're going to kind of continue in this vein. We're going to talk leadership with a guy by the name of Scott Edinger. He's the author of The Hidden Leader and The Inspiring Leader. The Hidden Leader is his brand new book just out, and we're going to talk about uh, discovering and developing greatness within your company. There's certainly a cultural issue for you. We're joined by Marissa Levin, and, and she's got a resume that... It reads like a who's who. She's founder, CEO, strategy expert, leadership expert, board expert. She's a uh, syndicated columnist with Smart CEO, a guest lecturer at Robert Smith School of Business and uh, University of Maryland. You've uh, you've kind of done a little bit of everything, Marissa, including finding and, or founding rather and starting and managing quite well a couple of very successful companies. And I know that culture has been a big part of the work that you've done as well. How, how does one go about, as an entrepreneur or a business owner, even a departmental manager, how do you go about intentionally creating the culture that you want? So it does start with um, the core values of of the business, and usually those flow from the owner. And then it also starts with the mission. It really is about the core values and about the mission, and those are obviously going to drive the organizational culture. But even the values, you know, people I don't feel 
um, put, a, a, put uh, really kind of take the meaning of the values as seriously as they should, right? Like they'll come up with their words and then they really don't think about what the meaning is behind the words. And I'll give you a great example, Kelly. So the word integrity, a lot of people use the word integrity for right. a core value. They want to have a company that has a lot of integrity, right? They want to attract people that also live their lives from a place of integrity. Integrity means very, very different things to different companies and different industries. So Mm -hmm. I have multiple companies that I work with on their values and their mission to kind of get all their foundational elements in place. And one of the, um, one of my clients, I've got three or four clients that have used the word integrity. One of my clients is a residential real estate development company. And for her, integrity means that she wants to make sure that she creates properties that add to the value and the quality of life of the communities where the properties will go. So she's focusing on the quality of the craftsmanship. She's focusing on the impact that she's making in the community. That's what integrity means to her. I also work with realtors, and integrity in the real estate industry is very important because, honestly, the bar to entry in real estate is really low. Like, basically, all you have to do is you have to pass a test and get a license. That doesn't necessarily make you competent just because you passed the test. And as we know, there are a lot of people in the real estate industry that really aren't or may not be very ethical. So you've got a customer base that is not very knowledgeable, and they're at the mercy of their realtor to tell them what is in their best interest And so when you hire a real estate agent that is committed to integrity, you're hiring someone that is committed to always doing what's in the best interest of the customer, even if it means, you know, a a financial compromise for them. So that's another example of integrity. I've got a technical recruiting company, and they define integrity as making sure that they're never placing um, a position, never filling a position in any of their client roles unless they've done complete due diligence that it's a perfect match. So these are the ways integrity shows up in different types of organizations and creates cultures of trust. And it's very, very important that when you do your values that you're creating words that really reflect what you're trying to build inside. Yeah, it's a a really great uh, point that you make because so many people go out and they spend all this time creating these words. They're not defined. They mean different things to different people. It really means that your culture is not defined. It's, you just you just have a piece of paper up on the wall that everybody forgets about. Well, the, the interesting thing that comes out of those kinds of exercises is people often want to know, can, can we create accountability inside a culture? Can we mandate accountability inside a culture through those kinds of value propositions and so forth? What are your thoughts on that? So yeah, we actually we op, op, we absolutely can create a culture of accountability, but it does start with the person that they are actually committed to accountability. But the ways that you actually put that in place inside a company is through different processes. So, for example, at Information Experts, my first company, we all, we had weekly meetings with our. Um, with our executive team where we had to review success factors and everybody was responsible for pushing different agendas forward on a weekly basis that rolled up to monthly objectives, quarterly objectives, and yearly goals. And we held each other accountable. So that's one way that you can create a culture of accountability. Um, And I do that with all my coaching clients. I have a whole system, the Transform You Growth System, and they have, I have a whole set of tools that they have to use. And every week when we get on our calls, they have homework that they had to do 
So it isn't just about talking things through. There was things that they had to do to make hard decisions to push their organization forward, and I held them accountable. So that's how that kind of works in the coaching realm. But getting back to organizations, you have systems in place that create accountability. You have performance metrics. So we had project managers and we had a project management office inside information experts, and we made sure that every week our project managers had to deliver status reports on where all of the projects were. So where were we in terms of scope, price, um, schedule, budget, resources? We kept people accountable for the delivery and the management of all of the projects. And if there was something not going right, we had to know about it far enough in advance so that we can get in front of it. So that's another way that you can institute a culture of accountability. Another thing is to make sure that you have processes in place so that the right people are talking to one another. And what I mean by that is that your business development or salesperson should never make a promise to a customer in terms of delivery or cost or a resource unless that they have coordinated with the people internally so that they're not over-promising and setting up the company for under-delivering. There's got to be processes in place with strong communication so that the right people are creating the right solution that makes sense financially for the company. Um, that's, that's a really, really important process. So those are three different ways, uh, strong communication among stakeholders, putting in processes uh, for accountability with your executive team, and making sure that you don't overpromise and underdeliver and set yourself up for underdelivering with your clients. There's lots of ways that you can create cultures of accountability inside your company. Well, it's really interesting as I listen to you talk about it. It sounds to me that at least one aspect of accountability, particularly with employees, is as simple as being very clear about objectives and then consistently reviewing them. I, I think I heard you talking about once a week or once a month or something like that. But when you're clear on what your objectives are and you come back to review your performance against those objectives, I, I think in that way you create some very defined accountability inside your culture. Yeah, absolutely. But again, it does have to start with the individual because I'll tell you right now, Kelly, we, you know, over, over 20 years, we have let go a, a lot of different employees. And if they're not willing to be held accountable, if they're not willing to be on the hook, they're not going to do well in an organization that drives accountability. And a lot of companies say that they want to drive accountability, but they don't have the mechanisms or the processes in place to actually do it. And the other thing is that it's the small companies where, you know what, there's no curtain to hide behind. When you work in a small business, every, every contribution counts. In the larger businesses, you can actually hide behind a lot of the systems and the processes, and there's so many different positions and people. Small businesses, every single person counts. And if you're not delivering, not only is the CEO or the executive team going to call you out on it, your coworkers are going to call you out on it too. Well, that's a fact. About 90 seconds before our break, Boris, I want to end with one last question. You kind of raised an interesting idea, and that is if people aren't willing to be held accountable or willing to be accountable, rather, how, how do you find those people? Is there something that you can do, questions you can ask, some sort of technique inside an interview where you can get a sense of whether or not you've got the right person with regards to that, that one specific topic, accountability? So we, you know, I, I can share, Kelly, you know, on, a, on another program, there's a whole process for interviewing that mm -hmm. you can uncover character strengths, 
you can under, uncover um, work habits, habits and work ethic and whether or not they're going to thrive more in a small business versus a large business. There's lots of different ways in which you can uncover, and that would be a great topic for us to cover. But I will tell you that the rule of thumb should be that you hire slowly, okay? And when mm-hmm. we were hiring an information experts, because there is so much dependency on the different um, interlocking positions inside our organization, I mean, we were so team-based. We made sure that when we were interviewing any candidates, that interview, that interviewee went through what I called a 360-degree hiring process, and they interviewed with at least three or four other people inside the company that they would be engaging with. We never made a hire just on one interview, ever, because we gotcha. had to see how they were going to engage with the rest of the employees. She is Marissa Levin. She is the founder and CEO of Successful Culture. Find her at SuccessfulCulture.com. Make sure you follow her at Marissa Levin. She's got an enormous following on Facebook and LinkedIn. You're going to want to read all of her stuff. And uh, she is sort of our expert in this realm. And I love having her on and getting, the, getting that female perspective because as, as we've talked about, there is a little bit of difference. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to write it up. Our next conversation is going to be about that interview process. Marissa, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you, Kelly. All right. Great to have her on board. We're going to take our second time out. Bottom of the hour. We'll come back on the other side. I'll be joined by Scott Butcher. Cannot wait to talk about his brand new book, Reputation, Design and Build, Creating Winning winning Personal Brands for Engineers, Engineering, Design and Construction Professionals. And uh, he's going to talk a little bit about how that book came to be and how you can use it if you're the, in the AEC space uh, as an SMPS marketing professional. Also, 345 My good friend, Miles Austin, will join us for the X's and O's segment. You're going to want to stick around. You're listening to Biz Locker Radio. I'm Kelly Riggs on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
Hi, this is Jeff Shore, author of Be Bold and Win the Sale. More great business ideas straight ahead in the business locker room. Hi, this is Kelly Riggs. Thanks for joining me here on Biz Locker Radio. Fantastic interview with Marissa and a, 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 lot of, a lot of detail there, a lot of technical stuff. But I'm going to tell you, you dig into some of that thing and, and she is really telling you what you can do differently in terms of creating culture. And, and what I can tell you is that this topic is gargantuan in terms of performance of organizations. Well, less than one in three employees is engaged and it has everything to do with the kind of manager that you hire and train and put into positions of responsibility. But we changed gears and I welcome in my good friend, Scott Butcher. He's the VP of an engineering company, JDB Engineering. He's a current president, by the way, of the SMPS Foundation Board, and you heard me refer to that going into the break. The Society for Marketing of Professional Services, this is the marketing side of the architectural engineering construction space in which he is very much a part. He has just recently published his brand new book, Reputation, Design and Build, Creating Winning Personal Brands for Engineering, Design and Construction Professionals. Scott's a guy that's been doing this for over 25 years, and he has written a book specifically for these people. It has 18 different reputation-building tools, 17 different case studies. It's a powerhouse book if you're in this space, and I welcome him in. Scott, great to have you on BizLocker Radio. Kelly, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I hope we have a a whole bunch of people listening uh, from SMPS and in the AEC market space. Let's go way back to the beginning when you started thinking about this book. What what created the impetus for you to want to write the book? Well, you know, Kelly, it was really interesting. I, I was developing a presentation for SMPS that you mentioned, and it was really about personal branding for marketers. You know, a lot of marketers and business developers kind of get lost within their larger organizations because they're overhead positions, they're not the core product of an engineering firm or an architecture firm or a construction firm. And so I really started delving into this whole concept of reputation building and personal branding. And it just, it really screamed to me that, hey, this isn't just for marketers that want to make a name for themselves within their own firms. This is really for design and construction professionals who really need to differentiate themselves from the competitors that they compete against on a daily basis, but even within their firms as a way that they can you know, gain employment, gain promotions, and help bring in work for their firms. Well, it's interesting. You, you talk about this. I mean, you're a guy that's in the marketing side uh, of the AEC market space, but you wrote this for, for the professionals that do it, the engineers, the designers, the construction people. And yet most of these folks, and my, my sense is and my experience is they're not really cognizant of things like branding and identity. They typically leave that to guys like you. So what role, what role do they play in this process? Yeah, that, you're exactly right, Kelly. And, and they play a huge role in this process, but I think they're only beginning to understand that now. And the reason I say that is there's sort of been a, a game change out there when it comes to owners or clients of design and construction firms making their selections of who they want to commission to design or build their project. You know, it used to be, and like you said, I've been doing this for 25 years, we could have, you know, really old projects that we would submit in proposals, and we'd use the same darn projects for every submission, and it didn't matter if the staff who worked on that project were with us or not. And somewhere along the way, the owners became a lot more sophisticated. In fact, a lot of the clients now for the AEC side um, are licensed engineers and architects, and they said, wait a second, we understand the smoke and mirrors that you guys are doing. Why don't you tell us about each and every member of our team? 
And so that's when things really started changing. And you could probably trace it back roughly a decade ago, where suddenly these requests for proposals were coming out, and they wanted detailed information on each and every team member really seeking out the weakest link. They wanted to know that the projects that you were proposing were designed or built by the professionals that you are proposing. They want to know that these people are leaders of their peers, leaders in their professions, and oftentimes they want personal references on everybody that's part of a project team. So it's really meant that you know a licensed architect, an engineer, a construction manager, suddenly they have to become a brand unto themselves because the clients are out there Googling them, checking out their LinkedIn profiles, and really wanting to know that they're the real deal. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. You, you know, I would be remiss. My guest, by the way, Scott Butcher, he is uh, a vice president in an engineering company, works on the marketing side. He is also currently the foundation board president of the Society for Marketing Professional Services, SMPS. I'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit. I know this is about your book, but you were very instrumental in another book that SMPS, the foundation, created that has really played a big role in in, in the marketing lives of AEC professionals. It's called The Decade Ahead. Give us a little glimpse into that book as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This was a a really interesting project to be involved with. And in my role with the foundation, I was co-chair of the committee that researched, wrote, and published it, along with Scott Braley, a uh, consultant in our industry. And, you know, here we looked at how firms are selling and how owners are buying through a series of 100 qualitative interviews to get a real sense of what's happening in the marketplace. We had a team of 29 volunteers that were doing the the interviews, the research, the writing, the editing, the design. Uh, you know, you've heard the phrase herding cats. Well, imagine a committee of 29 people spread out across the country who never meets in person one time. <laughs> but on the back end, we got some extremely valuable research that came out of that that really becomes sort of a, a beacon or a guidepost for those who sell professional services, looking at what's going to be happening right now, two years down the road, even 10 years down the road. And in fact, you know, I have to say that some of the findings that came out of that book, AEC Business Development, The Decade Ahead, uh, it really informed what I pulled together in my book, Reputation, Design, Build. And part of that were these owner interviews, the client side, where they're saying, you know, look, we want the real deal working on our projects. When you come and sell to us, Bring your project manager, bring your lead architect, bring your site superintendent, the people that I'm going to deal with on a daily basis, because they're the ones that are going to actually close the project. And furthermore, you know, some of these clients were saying, don't call us, we'll call you. And by that, you know, in depth, they went in and said, you know, we're doing our own research. We're asking for referrals and references. We're finding out who the friendly firms and the competitive firms are using to design or build their buildings. And based upon that, we are seeking you out. We are doing research behind the scenes. You have no idea we're checking you out. So you darn better well have a vibrant presence on the Internet. Yeah, that's really the connection and then one that I wanted to get to because what we found out through the decade ahead, that book, was that your branding and identity are critical. And as, as we connect the dots here, we started this conversation. Most engineering, design, and construction professionals, thats in most cases, that's the last thing on their mind. You've talked about some case studies. In fact, you have 17 of them in your book. Just give us a glimpse into one of those where this identity and branding process really has played a huge role in the success of the company. Well, you know, uh, boy, we had so many excellent 
examples. One one that jumps out is John Kleindienst. He's the president of C.S. Davidson, a civil engineering firm in Pennsylvania. And, you know, one of the tools in the book is community service. And, you know, how's that a branding tool? Well, it turns out it's, it's a huge personal branding tool because you're getting out there in the marketplace. You're getting to meet community leaders, potential clients, people that could, you know, refer you for work down the road. And so what John has done is he's gone out of his way to become a leader in organizations. So whether it's the local Rotary or Sertoma Club, service clubs, or whether it's getting involved with a number of nonprofit organizations or even being on the board for one of the local colleges, you know, John's really gone out of his way to become an integral part of all these organizations, often as the chairman or the president of their board of directors or trustees. And through doing that, he's made such a vibrant personal brand for himself. You see him all the time in the newspaper. He's representing the organization. He's getting to meet with people he would never meet with. He's getting to visit places he would never get to go if it wasn't for his role in these organizations. And through the process, he's become such a known branded entity that when his company pursues work and he goes in for a meeting or a presentation, people feel like they know him. I can't tell if we lost Scott or not. Scott, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm still right here. Oh, sorry about that. Okay, I, my, my headset went down. Well, it, it's interesting because you and I, I'm sure, would agree that you know these these professionals, engineers, designers, construction, they, they don't go to school to learn how to do these things. Suddenly, it's being foisted upon them as one of the prerequisites to even compete. I know you roll out 18 different reputation branding tools or building tools, and I want to I want to talk a little bit about those before we get out. By the way, I want to tell those of you who are listening. Whether you're listening live or if you're on the podcast, you can find Scott online at scottbutcher.com, and you can follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Scott D. Butcher. I'm going to give away a copy of his book, a signed copy, absolutely free, and I'm going to tell you how to get that in just a few minutes. Scott, give us two or three examples of these reputation-building tools that you outline inside your book. Well, certainly, uh, you know, writing and publishing is a big one because it allows you to establish yourself as a thought leader, and you don't have to... You don't have to start big. You can start small on your company blog or even an op-ed in the local business journal. But it's basically taking some of that knowledge you have in your head and putting it on paper and getting it in front of a lot of eyeballs that are reading the publications. You can work your way up then to you know, industry publications, professional journals that service your market sector, and it really helps establish you as a leader of your peers and a leader in your industry. Uh, probably another really good one is public speaking. You know, getting out there, again, it could be the local Rotary Club or it could be the AIA National Convention or where your clients are, an organization like IFMA or SCUP or COA. The idea here is that you are an expert, you have a lot of wonderful knowledge, and you want to impart some of that wisdom on the audiences. And once you're out there speaking, once you're out there in front of these audiences, you're really being being viewed as somebody that, is in command of the subject, the subject matter expert. You're building a brand in the process, and you're becoming somebody that people want to work with. Yeah, it's a fantastic book, folks. I can't recommend it enough. Full disclosure, I had a pre-release copy. I endorsed it for Scott. I love the book. It's called Reputation, Design and Build, Creating Winning Personal Brands for Engineering, Design, and Construction Professionals. If you're in that space, you're going to want a copy. I'm going to give you an absolutely free copy. No shipping, no nothing, no offers. Just 
text me. Text the word BizLocker, B-I-Z Locker, to the number 33444. The first one I get today from the live show, I'll send you a signed copy. And if you listen to the podcast beginning tomorrow, I'll send a copy to the people listening on the podcast as well. All you have to do is send a text, BizLocker, to 33444. He's Scott Butcher. Scott, thanks for joining us, man. Congratulations on a great book. Hey, thank you so much, Kelly. Excited to be here. So good to have him. All right, we're going to take our final time out, and we're going to come back on the other side. We're going to dial in with Miles Austin. We'll do the X's and O's segment. We're going to talk more about video and some tools that you can use to make video even an easier part of what you're offering to your customers. You're listening to BizLocker Radio on Voice America. I'm Kelly Riggs. We'll see you in just a minute. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Hi, I'm John Spence, one of the top 100 business thought leaders in the world, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Hey, it's Biz Locker Radio. I'm Kelly Riggs. Thanks for joining us. Find more about us at bizlockerradio.com. By the way, again, let me encourage you. Go to iTunes. Man, download these shows. You cannot believe the content. If this is the first time you've listened, you can't believe the content you're missing. By the way, checked my uh, phone just a second ago. No text yet, so that book is still out there to be given away. If you're in the AEC space or you're with SMPS, you need to get this book if you don't already have it. 33444 is the number. Just text the word bizlocker to that number It's going to prompt you for your email address, and I'm going to send you a book. Miles Austin is our guest. He's always on with us, well, most of the time anyway, as we do the X's and O's segment. We talk tools, web tools. You can find the web tools guy. That's what they call him at fillthefunnel.com. Follow him on Twitter. That's something we always talk about at Miles Austin. Miles, great to have you on board, man. 
Thanks, Kelly. Glad to be here, buddy. Enjoyed the show today so far. Yeah, it's, it's, it has been a great show. You know, some of this stuff, I think, can get a little technical, a little deep when you start talking about culture and all that kind of thing. Nonetheless, it's still very critical, and we can break that up and give people some secrets of how to make some changes. I think it makes a big deal in the performance of a company. Absolutely. It's all how we make a living, and we provide for our families, so pay attention and take some notes. Well, you help us make a living because you introduce us to some great tools, online productivity tools. We've spent a lot of time, Miles, talking about video. You're convinced, and I'm a believer, that video is the next horizon. In fact, it's already here, that if you're not communicating with video, as easy as it is to produce, you're really missing the boat. We're going to talk today about teleprompters. Tell me a little bit about them. Sure, Kelly. I think, you know, teleprompters, I think the easiest way and what we can probably all remember and relate to is watching our politicians, specifically the one that's been most famous for his use of teleprompters is our President Obama. But when you see him on stage or anywhere he's talking, those those two little glass-looking pieces that are kind of tilted back towards him, that is teleprompter, and it has something that is software and hardware that's showing his words up on the screen and scrolling at a pace that he talks at. So he always is available to make sure he's hitting his points, he's staying on focus, and that's where from time to time he gets in trouble when the technology drops or the the teleprompter stops midway. The challenge is with those is those are very expensive. You can spend upwards of $1,000 or more on those as a professional. So... What we wanted to do is say, look, there's got to be other solutions out there um, and give us as, you know, just business people day to day that are making videos or very frankly, even just making presentations to take this concept of a teleprompter that scrolls text in very big fonts and scrolls it in front of us at eye level so we know where we're going next in our presentations. And that's what teleprompter software does. Well, and, and that's the key, isn't it? I mean, even I consider myself to be very comfortable in front of a group of people. There's just something about a camera that makes you really concerned about the way you look. And, you know, and then suddenly you're more concerned about the way you're coming across visually than the words you're saying. So that teleprompter provides that that real comfortable guide to kind of help you stay on point. And yet for the average person, a guy again, a guy like me who perhaps does some video in his own studio, uh, teleprompters, uh, you know, I'm not going to spend $1,000, You, but you've got some really nice examples of ways to create the same kind of professional results using something different. Absolutely. I picked three of them today to use. There's, you know, most of us fall into one of two camps, either we're a PC, Windows PC user, or we're a Mac user. Um, so I've got three different versions that I want to tell you about that these teleprompter softwares, basically you take your text or your Word document or however you've created your presentation or your speech or whatever it might be, your script, if you will, and you upload it into these tools. And so there's a, a product from the Windows standpoint called teleprompter software. It's called ProPrompter Professional. And they have multiple versions out there and multiple levels of capability and they run between $125 and roughly $300. So that's kind of the the cream of the crop but it's good quality software if you're running a PC, Pro Prompter Professional and you'll find it if you just google it. If you run a Mac uh, and I run a Mac as well as a Windows PC based on where my environment is, 
Um, the product that I have used historically for that is in the App Store, and it's called Presentation Prompter at PresentationPrompter.com. Okay. Same general capability. You import it. You can have a black background with white letters, white background with black letters. You have some flexibility there. And that one is going to run you 100 bucks. And I have that one installed on my Mac. I have Teleprompter Pro on my um, Windows device. And I came across something just a couple weeks ago, and I've been using it now, and I'm thoroughly in love with it for a couple reasons. Teleprompter Pro um, is the product, and the, the um, URL for that, just for our listeners, is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, biz prompter, B-I-Z prompter. And the reason I mentioned that specific URL, this thing gave me the answer to all of my challenges. When I travel, when I'm making presentations, sometimes it's on my Mac, sometimes it's on the Windows laptop. When I'm doing Hangouts and presentations and video recording in my studio, it's on a PC usually, but not always. Sometimes when we're out making that presentation, using the example of my most recent one, I'm presenting from my MacBook. So my video, in this case my slides, were on my MacBook Pro, so I didn't have the ability to have a teleprompter. Well, the product that you find at Bitly, uh, on the Bitly link, bit.ly biz prompter, is a product that, first of all, it's 27 bucks. Wow. The beauty of this is, now, this is not for the un- unexperienced user because you have to upload it to a server that you have where maybe you host your WordPress site or your company website or something. So that it, it's one level above just a normal click, plug, and play or download. But what it does, it now enables a teleprompter to be accessible by you with a password and ID on any device that you can connect over the Internet. So as an example, I can go anywhere and be using my MacBook or my PC to present, and I can bring up my teleprompter on an iPad on an Android device, and I've tested it, and it works well on my iPhone. So it really is, I think not only is it a great value at 27 bucks, brand new on the market, it's only been out for about a week or so, but it really is the solution for people that have multiple devices, uh, or maybe you go to a location and you don't even have your computer, you're just going to use theirs uh, because you email them your presentation in advance. Now you still have with your phone or your online device the ability to have your notes, your bullets, or a full script, if that's how you present, all available online. Wow, that's pretty fantastic. And you've been happy with it at 27 bucks. I've been using it now for about three weeks, Kelly, and i got to tell you, I'm, I'm just giddy because I'm always struggling with which device do I have to present from so I can have my teleprompter on the other device. Uh, makes good sense. All right, so let's do the Bitly link again. Some people are going to be interested in this. bit.ly. Is there a forward slash? Yes, bit.ly slash forward uh, forward slash and then biz prompter p r o m p t e r, and that's it. Okay, very good. All right, so um, in terms of using this, the one question I always have is. These things typically go at your speed, but what if you're a person that changes speeds and, and pauses and, you know, does those kinds of things? How, how does all that work? Well, great question. Um, you have the ability, actually, with 
most of these, not all of them, but you can actually control it. You can stop the scrolling. Um, you can go backwards or forward if you need to, and I don't recommend that because you can really screw yourself up. But you can slow it down. You can actually stop it. So what I usually do is get the right speed for scrolling for my normal presentation style. And I have a mouse in my left or right hand, and when I get to a point and maybe there's a question or I want to diverge a little bit, I just click the mouse button and it pauses it right there. The nice part of that is, is it's also a visual reminder. I got to get back to the presentation and get back on task. Yeah, that's great stuff. Well, teleprompters, this is one of the things that we have found in talking with people about their hesitancy to create video is is they're not good in front of a camera. They're not uh, extemporaneous speakers. Teleprompters get you around all of that. So it's a great tool to have. You can find BizPrompter for $27. Be be able to access it online anywhere you have an internet connection. bit.ly forward slash Biz Prompter. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much, Miles, for the input. Great to have you on board. And thanks to our other guests as well. Scott Butcher, his brand new book, and also Marissa Levin as we talked about culture. We'll be back next week. We'll be joined by Scott Edinger, the author of The Hidden Leader and The Inspiring Leader. And I'm really excited about finding and developing talent within our organizations. Make sure you check us out on iTunes. Special thanks to Michael Surgit, my engineer. He makes us sound a lot better than we really are. Brandy Jackson's our executive producer. Make sure you visit us at bizlockerroom.com. I'm Kelly Riggs. Kelly will be back again next week for more business building content and conversation for your playbook. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel for another edition of The Business Locker Room. Remember, business is a competition. Play to win. We'll be right back.